So hey guys, welcome back to another podcast and I am super excited and I'll say this super nervous. Um, we have Bob Bozbell on uh, the podcast this morning from Cave Creek. I am here in the Goodyear, Arizona area, and uh, which is not far from Cave Creek and uh, I'm super excited to have Bob here. I've uh, honest, I've been very nervous because he is extremely well respected and an amazing artist and writer. Um, of course, we have people to thank for that, um, and one of those is True West Magazine. Now, I'm a member of the Maniac Club, and uh, I got Bob's card, but for 249 bucks, I think around 250 bucks, you get a lifetime subscription to True West Magazine, a T-shirt, and a card. But if you don't want to spend, you know, 250 bucks to be a maniac, then get a monthly subscription or a bi-monthly subscription. It's 29.95, and you can find everything about the Old West in a in its amazing paper. Like the paper is a high gloss. It's not cheap. It's not like a another magazine that has really thin paper. These magazines are are made to really be a part of your history and your Western history collection. And you can find everything about True West Magazine at truewestmagazine.com. I also want to thank my friend Mark Boardman over at the Tombstone Epitaph. And, Epitaph, and that is Arizona's longest running paper. If you want to find out more about Tombstone history in the Old West in a newspaper format, and I love newspapers, then get a hold of Mark over at the TombstoneEpitaph.com. And their subscriptions are $20 a year. And I think there's a mid-year, like 30 bucks, I think, for the mid-year or 35. Don't hold me to it. But the one you really want to get is the three-year for 60 bucks because it saves you $15 over time. And when I say that it's an awesome newspaper, like it's got pictures in there from Bob Bose Bells in it, and it's just research, deep history research, that has total provenance and it's, you know, it's truthful. It's not like what you're going to find out on Reddit or what you're going to find out on Pinterest. It, it's the truth. And you want to really research history, then get the tombstone epitaph. Again, go for the three year subscription for 60 bucks and it's really well worth it. Anything you want to add? No, <laughs> you covered the dog, as we say in the business. All right. Good job. Good job. Thank you. Um, so if you're like me, you've been watching Bob Bozbell from a distance, and you see his beautiful artwork, and you watch his YouTube videos. You see him on television. He's everywhere. And one of the things that I always look for was a radio podcast, and I don't know how many – um, not radio, but a internet podcast. But I don't know how many of these have you done, but so many people are listening to podcasts. And that's why I wanted, um, you know, Bob to, to or Mr. Bell um, to um, do a podcast with me because he's got an amazing career. One of the things I did is I printed out in 2011 a bibliography. It's called Bob Bell Biography, The Unvarnished Truth. And we're not going to cover politics. We're not going to cover kids. We're not going to talk family because that's really nobody's business but Bob's. But we will be talking about history and his history. And, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you, even though it, in it, it says that you're born in Iowa, how did all places, how did your father say, Kingman, out of all the places in Arizona, Kingman is where I'm moving the Bell family to? <laughs> well, that's a great question because... 
Uh, I have the Japanese to thank for this because they bombed Pearl Harbor, and my father was a a young farm boy in uh, Thompson, Iowa, and he got drafted because of the uh, World War II, and he was sent to Alabama for uh, basic training, and then he uh, entered the Air Corps. It wasn't the Air Force in World War II yet, and he uh, landed in Kingman, Arizona on a troop train because they built a uh, an air base there, Kingman Air Base, outside of Kingman, and they uh, shipped in 10,000 GIs, and this is a town of probably about 1,500, 2,000 people at the time, and um, he... Uh, told me a story that he was walking down, they, they let him off the troop train, he was walking down the center of the street, and at Front Street in Kingman, and he had a duffel bag over his bag, it was hot, I believe it was in August, and he said, and I quote, I will never come back to this hell hole. Mm-hmm. And so he, then he met uh, a rancher's daughter, uh, who was dating captains and lieutenants, and, uh, and was engaged at one time to one of the uh, cattle kings of Mojave County. Um, but she went on a blind date. Uh, my father said, uh, what's your name? And she said, Guess. And he said, I don't know, Mildred. And she said, no, my name is Bobby Guess. And uh, she called off her engagement. And she told this buck private from Thompson, Iowa, that she was in love with him. And so they got married. And then started a long bouncing um, that continued all during my growing up uh, between Thompson, Iowa and Kingman, Arizona. We would go on vacations every summer. My father ended up in Kingman. Uh, He had a gas station on Route 66 called uh, Al Bell's Flying A. That's where I had my first job, icing jugs. And every summer we'd go to the family farm in Iowa. So that's how I ended up in Kingman. But King. Kingman is a railroad town, and I love Kingman. Um, I've actually been in Kingman for the Andy Devine days. Um, the downtown section of Kingman is is very historic, and it's beautiful in its own way. I, Your father opens up a gas station, and we're going to kind of move forward a little bit. Your father opens up a gas station. Your icing jugs, which, what is icing jugs? Because my mind went, what? What is he talking about? Yeah, it's such a double entendre, but... Uh, in the, this is pre-air conditioning, and so every car uh, would carry a thermos bottle or a jug, and there, there, there was these therm- they were thermos jugs. And uh, my father had a big sign painted out front, jugs iced free. Uh, and one of the big selling points in the gas station was for everyone going westbound, they were on their way to California, and uh, the attendants would say, you're about to go across the most deadly desert in the world uh and uh it's going to get really really hot you need some ice in those jugs this young man here is going to ice your jug for you that's where it comes from because my father and my granddad i'm born and raised in southern california but my grandfather and dad were huge travelers this is where i got the travel travel bug from but we had the canvas bottles those canvas jugs and my grandfather would put them tie them to the front of the radiator and use evaporative cooling to keep the evap the you know the radiator cool yes uh however my father laughed at that uh those those water bags are classic by the way um i have one in my office here i'm looking at it <laughs> and uh but but my dad would laugh at that because when you put the water bag in front of your radiator, it stopped the air from cooling your radiator. So it was right. actually dangerous to the car. <laughs> so my dad clicked. 
So I, I know that you've spoken about your grandmother. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going too fast on the timeline or I'm bouncing around saying, Mike, you're, you're insane. Um, you talked about your grandmother being an influence because I think it was her that called Wyatt Earp what, a, a jerk or he's a liar. Yes. Um, was that your gateway or your entry point to say, well, grandma says it. I wonder if she's correct and I'm going to research it and dig down to find out if Wyatt Earp really is a jerk. Was that your entryway into Western history? There was actually two, and they both involved my grandmother indirectly, and that is, you're absolutely correct. My favorite TV show um, in the mid-50s was The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp, starring uh, Hugh O'Brien, and it was a huge sensation, and I loved the show. And one night, my parents were going to go on a date to the American Legion, and they dropped me off at my grandmother's house, which I loved to go to because she told uh, all these stories to me about how we were related to outlaws. And we're, we claim uh, relations with uh, Bigfoot Wallace and uh, Black Jack Ketchum, among others. And so she would tell me these great stories. Well, we were at, I was at her house, and I said, can I watch my favorite show? And she said yes, and I went over and turned the TV on just in time to hear that theme song, which, if you know it, sing it with me. Why why brave, courageous, and bold? You know that you know that theme song. No, that's anyway. way before my time. <laughs> I'm remember I'm a youngster. You're just a baby. Anyway, that was the theme song, and uh, uh, long may a story be told. And um, and so I'm I'm looking at the TV, and all of a sudden I see my grandmother point out from her chair, and she looks at me, and she says, "Wyatt Earp was the biggest jerk who ever walked the west." So I'm looking at the TV, right, which never lies, and. Uh, I'm, I'm going, wow, somebody's not telling the truth here. Well, then the kicker happened the next summer because we were on the way to Iowa. And I bought a, a, a photograph of Billy the Kid at the Longhorn Museum east of Albuquerque. And I paid a quarter for it. And uh, a couple weeks later, I was in downtown Kingman at the Desert Drugs. And I picked up the latest issue of True West Magazine. And I discovered the photo I bought of Billy the Kid was a fake it was, it was taken at a parade in Santa Fe in 1930. And so both those incidents just really ticked me off. And I, and I, and that's really, it lit the fuse. My, well, I should say my grandmother lit the fuse and those two incidents really set off the charge because I, everybody else was watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, the hula hoop craze. And I was at the library finding out, trying to find out the truth about what did these guys really do. So that was the genesis of what got me started. So as you move forward, and Bob Bozebell was doing his thing, and, and I'll, I'll touch briefly on the Bose part, because I don't know how many people know that Bose actually started by you being called Bozo in high school. Yes. Is that story true? <laughs> everything I'm telling you is true, or I should mm-hmm. say half of everything I'm telling you is true, and it's your job to figure out which half. Well, I'm going to go with the half that says... You were playing sports in Kingman and ran the wrong direction. Well, and that well, here's and here's the truth of that. So uh, we hated Needles, California. They were our arch rivals. Every town has a, another town. If you were in high school sports, you know this. And so we hated Needles because they always beat us, and we we just we always we believed the worst about them. And so they came up. It wasn't during a real game. We had a scrimmage before the season started. And we hated Needles, and I was the leadoff hitter. And uh, 
I usually bunted because I was fast and I would uh, get down to first base. But uh, I missed the bunt, and so I looked down to the third base coach, and he said, swing away. And so I actually connected and hit a ball into shallow center field. And as I rounded for first to go to second, uh, to decide whether I was going to go to second, I saw that the uh, fielder uh, muddled the ball. You know, he, 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 he wasn't going to pick it up. And, uh, and so I turned around and ran backwards to taunt the needles guys as I got to second base. You know, it just was kind of like, uh, cock of the walk, kind of like, yeah, take this and smoke it. And everybody from our, our bench, uh, stood up and, and started yelling. And the coach called me Payaso. Uh, coach Baca was our Spanish teacher and Payaso is clown. And so from there, all my, uh, cruel teammates, uh, picked up on it and they started calling me Bozo. And then when I got older, I shortened it to Bose. And that is the truth. It's it's a great story because, and, and this is kind of be like a, a downer, but it's truthful. The town of Needles has struggled because I've been through Needles. And not, Needles is a beautiful spot in the desert. When you're, I think you come across I-40 into Needles. And it's a beautiful town, and yet it struggles. So it's... It's odd that, you know, back in the day, Needles was a thriving, bustling city. And now today, it's it's struggling to stay afloat. Yeah, and so are all the towns along the, the old corridor that we uh, called uh, Old Route 66. It's uh, it's kind of sad to me because, you know, as, as uh, being inter- interested in the Old West, as I was, every Sunday we would go out and visit ghost towns. And there was, uh, Mojave County was riddled with ghost towns of, of old mining towns, White Hills, Gold Road, Oatman, Signal, uh, Surbat, uh, Chloride. There was just all these towns there. And every Sunday we'd go out and have a picnic after church and we would play in these old ghost towns. And I, I thought it was a, um, you know, being young and naive, we'd play cowboys and Indians there and, and gunfighters and all kinds of stuff. And now when I go home to Kingman, I feel like I'm visiting the same ghost towns because every time I return, it's like a, a waves lapping at a shore. Another building, another street, another house is gone. And I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone home and, and thought to myself, God, what used to be there? I used to drive by here every day. And now what was it's, it's, it's this uh, storage shed units, you know, and I, I'm going and. Was that where the city cafe was? And it just becomes more and more. And then I realized, finally, at my old age, that this happens to everybody, every every civilization, every town, uh, every human being. So there you go. I agree with that because I'm born and raised in Garden Grove, California. And Garden Grove is right next to Disneyland. I, I could hear the Mark Twain um, horn, you know, the air horn, the steam horn. From the Mark Twain to Disney, I could hear that on a Saturday morning when the park would open. But when I go back to Garden Grove today, I'm like, wow, there's my old house. But the rest of it looks nothing like it did in the 60s and 70s. So I agree with that. When you you were moving forward in life and you were doing your thing, you mentioned in there that you went to Arizona State, you went to ASU. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Don't even, don't even go there. I went well, to the University of Arizona. We hate ASU. I married an ASU graduate and forced her to have my children. That's how much I hate ASU. So don't even, don't ever say that to me. Never. I'm sorry. You can take it out. <laughs> but the reason I say that is you went to college 
I went to college, yes. But I was wondering, as you were moving forward, you went to college and your life was going down, and there's been multiple things. I'll let you describe the 70s, even though you, you got married and, and, and you also separated and divorced. But a lot went on. Did your father, as he realized that you were morphing in yourself, like changing, finding yourself, going into entertainment, going into radio, going into television, doing magazines and stuff, and art for magazines like National Lampoon and Mad and all these things— was your father supportive, or did he want Bob to follow in his footsteps and work at the gas station? Excellent question. And I, uh, I have this to say with some uh, a pause, because it's, it's one of the things that just stuns me in my life, and that is my father was a stubborn Norwegian. You know, we had to get up at 4 a.m. and drive, and he wouldn't stop except for gas, food, oil, or open wounds. And so he irritated the crap out of me. And uh, plus, he came home every uh, night and complained about his uh, gas station employees, how they were stealing from him and stuff. And I remember sitting at the table and thought, well, I'm not going to do this when I grow up. I think that's common among uh, people growing up. But anyway, when I look back at him now, uh, he never was negative about anything that I tried to do. He never said... uh, uh, that's stupid. I played uh, rock and roll. I was in a band. I had a drum set in the living room. My father was trying to watch TV, and I would be doing a drum solo in front of him. He never said, turn that down. That's stupid. That's racket. Never. He always supported me, and it just stuns me. The older I get, the more I'm his age, and I think, oh, this is what my this is how old my dad was when I was doing this ridiculous stuff. And I think my, my dad gave me two things. Anything's possible. So thank you, Alan P. Bell. And the other is um, I don't give up. You know, my, my wife, somebody said to Kathy, my wife, she said, what's it like living with Bob? And she thought for a minute and she said, think of um, invading Vikings, only child. <laughs> <laughs> Which, and I think that sums it up, and I, I have my father to thank for that. Thank you. Which is odd, because I'm an only child as well. Um, and I think only children are fiercely independent. And we we usually say what's on our mind, even if it gets us in trouble. Yeah, we never, we never had any siblings to beat the crap out of us. <laughs> no. I've yeah. a... My boss is actually about six years younger than me, and he continually picks on me. He's, he, I have a beard, so he pulls my beard, and it's like having a younger brother. And I had to call my mom and said, thank you. Thank you for not having more children. <laughs> yes. The seven, when, and the reason I'm going to bring up your dad again, because your father never said anything, but your father was hugely supportive because he loaned you money I believe he loaned you money for some art or for a book, and you paid him back every single month religiously. Yes. he. Um, uh, when I was uh, first going to do publishing, uh, I thought for sure that everybody would jump at my idea of uh, <clears throat> a book on Billy the Kid. And so uh, I landed on the cover of Arizona Highways, and I thought, oh, what publisher is going to turn this down? And when I sent a query letter with my idea, and I include my Billy the Kid painting on the cover of Arizona Highways. Who could turn that down? Well, 26 publishers turned it down, including my alma mater at the University of Arizona um, Historical Society. 
who who wrote in their note just what the world needs another book on billy the kid and so i went to my dad and i said dad i i i nobody would take my book can you help me and he paid the the first printing bill was five grand and he paid it and i paid him back uh every month i I sent him a stipend and uh yeah so my i I can't speak enough about my father who who i you know i I had long hair i was this is the 60s uh you, you you had it out for the man um and i was i was guilty of all of those of those things but i look back on it and i go if i could just be half the man he was my kids will be okay and the reason i say is because reading your your biography so to speak the 70s was a good year a good decade and a bad decade you married and divorced but you also met kathy but was the 70s a defining moment like was it a defining decade that that changed you and you allowed yourself to say, this is the clear path I'm going. Like everything I'm, I've done up to this point, the 70s define me, or did that happen in the eighties? You know, I can't, uh, every decade has been ridiculous. Uh, the I lived through the fifties and sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties and on. And every, every decade has, uh, amazing things, wonderful things, and just absolutely stupid things. So, but it wasn't the decade it was my own, uh, you know, progression. And I remember when it finally hit me because, uh, as you mentioned, uh, I had a radio show uh, and I, I didn't seek to be on the radio. I went on as a guest and they hired me when I got off the air. I mean, it was literally that ridiculous. And I uh, worked for New Times Weekly. I did editorial cartoons. Uh, I was a freelancer. I did cartoons in uh, Playboy, National Lampoon. And uh, I sold one of my characters to Hollywood, so I had an agent at William Morris. So I've, I've just done a ton of things. But it wasn't until Christmas Day, 1989, that I really found my calling. And that was because my mother sent me uh, a book, a used book. It was old, and I opened it up, and I went, oh, Mom. You know, she sent me this old book. And, uh, and I know everything there is to know about Billy the Kid. And it was the saga of Billy the Kid by Walter Noble Burns. And so we're sitting on, I'm sitting on the couch and my kids are running around, you know, they're young and precocious and ripping up paper and playing in boxes and stuff. And I read the first line of that book. And the first line is John Chisholm knew cows. And I thought, well, that's an odd opening line for a book on Billy the Kid. And so I thought I'd read a little bit more just to kind of dip into it. And uh, Billy the Kid isn't mentioned until page 13, if memory serves me correct. And anyway, by page 20, I was hooked. And I'm sitting there, and my kids go to bed. My wife comes in, kisses me goodnight. And I'm sitting on the couch. And at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I put the book down, and I said, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I love this. That book was that uh, impactful to me. That is the moment. That if you, you take that out of there, I don't buy True West. I don't do any of my Old West books. All of that came from that book and that moment. So it defined you because in the 80s, going forward, in the 80s was a defining decade as well. You had Arizona Highways picked up some of your artwork. Uh, you got on the radio at KSLX. You were probably doing a radio show, even though you say it didn't do very well. You're still on the radio, so something is better than nothing. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't say we weren't doing well. We 
we had a top uh, five morning show uh, immediately. And this is in the market. Phoenix, Arizona has the highest per capita radio stations at, the, at that time, 35 radio stations in yeah. a, a metro area of about 2 million people, 1.5, something like that. And so it was a very crowded market. And we went right to the top five. Oh, wow. And uh, I, uh, I did, did that show, which I didn't even think it was, you know, it wasn't even uh, on my career chart of anything I wanted to do. I did that show for 10 years. It was, uh, it was a, an amazing experience. So... Is was the night the the eighties nineties was that a point to where you really your career really took off and you were because you probably were um, trend setting so to speak because someone like you in your background even though Western television you know westerns were on television westerns were on movies they weren't mainstream they weren't showing up in magazines that wasn't showing up on radio like it is today was it was it also a defining decade well uh once again i i've never really arrived i don't think and in fact a, a friend of mine said uh what was it uh was it more exciting the road getting to the goal of, of your destination or uh what was it uh, when you arrived and uh, he thought for a moment and he said the road is the only thing and so I don't see I don't see the decades as defining to me. I don't see uh, the things that I've accomplished as, as defining. In fact, I'm still trying to make it. I'm still struggling, just like everybody else is. I'm still trying to make it and try to find out what this is all about and to try to find something that's um, meaningful to me. And uh, that's not to say that I'm not successful. Uh, I run a, a history magazine. And with a very talented crew, and I do these books that I love to do. So that that's, but but uh, it's it's still I'm still restless. I still want to achieve more. And I guess in the at the end of the day, that's a blessing, and I should just be thankful for that. It is a blessing because you say something. You've got a quote that I think you live by, and I know I'm going to butcher it up, and you can correct it. About it, basically, if you love what you do, then it's not really work. Yeah, work is only work if you'd rather be somewhere else. And I'm exactly where I want to be. I love doing this. So so that's it's a blessing. But I'm, i I got to tell you, I had many jobs. Uh, I did a drafting job when I first came to Phoenix back in 1970. And I literally, we were doing uh, sewer manhole covers, plotting them on, on a, a plat map. And I got to tell you, I would look at that clock and it would just crawl. I just couldn't wait. I felt like I was in prison. So every time I get a little bit uh, down on myself when I'm in my studio drawing the things that I want to draw, I think about that. So here's another saying that I go by, which is for everything you gain, you lose something. And for everything you lose, you gain something. And so sometimes having your own magazine is not a uh, is not fun. You know, I, I, in fact, I hate the HR aspect of it, you know, the human resource. I, I hate I've had to fire people. I hate that. It's absolutely awful. I hate the financial meetings. I hate the well, we've got to cut the paper costs. We've got to we've got to do that. I just hate all that stuff. But at the end of the day, do I love American history and do I love uh, uh, telling people something maybe that they, they didn't know telling a good story? Yes. And that trumps everything in you wrote that in 1995, your article on Tombstone is bought by Arizona Highway. 
Your painting of Wyatt Earp looming over Tombstone appears on the October 1995 cover of the magazine. And it will be your second cover because Billy the Kid showed up in July 1991. That was, well, I'm going to say, with Arizona Highways, did that open the door nationally to where people saw what Bob Bozbell was doing in Arizona and all of a sudden you, you're in a magazine that's got nationwide and worldwide subscriptions? Well, here's a funny thing is that you mentioned, I hadn't thought about that cover I did for Arizona Highways in a long time. And uh, the premise of it was that Wyatt Earp is looming over the city of Tombstone in 1881. And the irony is, is that this morning I'm finishing a painting for True West Magazine on Wyatt Earp uh, looming over the OK Corrals. It's, it's the same painting. I didn't even think about that. Here I am, you know. Uh, a long time since then, and I'm still doing the same painting. And uh, the, the problem is, is that we're doing the 140th anniversary of the OK Corral fight uh, this October, and we're working on October right now. And um, so how do we do it differently? And so my editor, the, uh, the wonderful Stuart Rosebrook, who lives in uh, uh, Prescott Valley, he said, Bob, why don't you sum up all your history with the OK Corral? Well, I was in the OK Corral on October 26, 1981. Uh, I knew instinctively that I had to be there at the centennial. It was 100 years since the fight, and I didn't see any ads in the paper. I didn't hear uh, any uh, uh, promotions for it. I just knew I had to drive there, and I drove there, and I went to the corral. And there was probably 150 people there. And I met so many people who have become um, important in my life, including Phil Spangenberger put on a show there, Richard Ignarski, who has the uh, uh, Gunfighter Museum in Tombstone, was there. Uh, and Robert G. McCubbin was there, who him and I later bought True West Magazine. So what an incredible moment. And I just felt like I had to go there. Well, I want to go back to your art. Because I think about the Bob Bozbell who, you know, did the first painting at that period. And here you are now doing the same painting. And I don't really think it'll end up being the same painting because your eyes and your mind think differently. Not as, a as you know, at your age, but the way that you view it. So I, I definitely think it'll end up being a different photo or a different painting, even if someone says, oh, it looks the same. It won't look the same because you're viewing life differently. True. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's just ironic. It really kind of hit me. I was like, oh, this is great. Uh, here I am this morning trying to put the finishing touches on uh, a painting that uh, goes to press next week. And uh, which brings up another thing, and that is deadlines. You know, people... Um, uh, say, uh, 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 deadlines, how do you deal with them? Well, I use every trick in the book. Um, and I've, I've uh, deadlines are the bane of my life. And yet if, if I didn't have deadlines, uh, for example, I've done 29 sketchbooks of a hundred pages each. And the reason I got that many sketchbooks in the can is because I forced myself to do six bad drawings a day just to loosen up. That's one way with dealing with, uh, uh, deadlines. Uh, I, the biggest problem people have with deadlines is they want something to be perfect. And so then that creates procrastination. I don't want to start because it's not going to be perfect. So the best thing you can do is write without hope, without despair. 
draw without hope, without despair, just draw. And so I came at this point where I went, uh, an artist friend of mine, cartoonist actually, Dave uh, Sims of Cerebus fame, lives in Canada. He said, every artist has 10,000 bad drawings in them. And I thought, well, that's true. And since then, we've heard about outliers and Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Bill Gates had 10,000 hours of uh, studying in his garage, trying circuits that didn't work. The Beatles had 10,000 hours of playing in Hamburg, Germany. And I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove if that's wrong or right. And so I, I made this vow to do six bad drawings a day. So when they're bad, you don't have to care. And I did it. it took me about four years. And after it was done, I just kept going. And I do it every day. I did it this morning. I just start drawing. And I go, I don't care how this is going to be. And invariably, something good comes out of it. So that's been a huge uh, factor in my life. Well, you mentioned the drawing because I follow you on Facebook. And I've made comments about black and white, and you mentioned that that was in your scratchbook. And for me, I love the finished look, but I love the point to which the pencil or the pen or whatever you use for doing your drawing, I love the point to where the mind starts with a blank piece of paper, a line is drawn, a mark is made, and then... The artist goes to work, which is why I love your scratchbook stuff, because it's in a rough form, but it's brilliantly done. Well, thank you. And uh, one of my uh, old artist friends um, who lived in uh, Lincoln, New Mexico, Nora, uh, Nora Hen's husband, Walter, he, he told me a funny thing, which is so true. And that is every artist needs another artist to stand behind them. <laughs> and when they uh, start to overwork a painting, the other one. The painting, the person, the cartoonist that's standing behind them starts hitting them over the head and going, stop, stop before you ruin it. And I, I can't tell you how many things I've ruined because uh, as an only child, you'll relate to this. I have a tendency to work things to death. Yes, because we are our own worst critic since we have no one to criticize us. <laughs> there you go. For everything you've gained, you lose something. In 1999... July 12th, you mentioned that you made the down payment to purchase True West Magazine. Can you go through, because I think that's a pivotal point. Can you go through the process? Like, were you a subscriber? You're getting the magazine. You meet the owner. What, What happened that put Bob in a completely different part of life that maybe you weren't thinking about well this was a hair-raising experience uh still is in many ways but that going back to that date uh what had happened was true us was on the ropes it was going down still being printed on pulp paper Mm. and um so i went to i had a book signing in tombstone and bob mccubbin who was living in El, uh, el paso came over to the book signing and we were in the okay cafe and uh, I, uh, he said uh, he was retiring, he had a substantial pension, and he wanted to buy a restaurant, a, a Mexican food restaurant in El Paso. And I said, Bob, Bob, don't buy a Mexican food restaurant. My in-laws own a Mexican food restaurant, and every Christmas and Thanksgiving when we go over there, all I do is hear them complain about how awful it is to own a Mexican restaurant. Do not do that. And he said, what should we do? And I said, 
we should buy True West magazine. <laughs> That's about the funniest thing I've ever said uh, because we went to the, uh, the magazine. We went to the owners and they, they said it's not for sale. And so uh, we gave up on it. And then about six months later, as these things are wont to do, uh, I heard through the grapevine that they had changed their mind that they were gonna they were gonna sell. So we uh, asked them for the books. We asked them. We went. We flew to uh, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Rented a car and drove to Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is where the magazine was then. And um, we asked for the books and stuff. And then uh, Bob had it run through his accountant in El Paso, and I ran it through my accountant in Phoenix. And both accountants came up with the same verdict, which was they have nothing to sell you. They're going under. Uh, you you could you'd be better off to start a new magazine. And Bob and I were so enamored of True West that we defied them and we went ahead and bought it. We uh, paid way too much money for it. Um, and then when we got in there, we started losing. And I'm not making this up. Thirty grand a month. Thirty grand a month. Well, for example, you mentioned the paper, uh, the good paper. Uh, when I decided that we had to get away from pulp paper. Uh, this was in 1999, and pulp magazines went out of uh, popularity in the 50s, you know, maybe the 60s, maybe. Uh, but uh, here we are 30 years later, and that's one of the reasons it was going down. But as soon as I um, upgraded the paper, our print bill doubled. And uh, and so we just started losing money like crazy. and It was just the most hair-raising. I can't believe we survived that. Uh, it was just absolutely phenomenal. But once again, I go back to my father. He gave me those Viking jeans, and I just am too stubborn to give up. But you were too stubborn to give up, and you mentioned a couple years later, and you mentioned this, that going into the fourth year, Bob is hopeful but fatigued, being unmoved, being the unmoved mover of True West Magazine begins to take its toll, and Bob longs for support and gets it with three new investors. So was the magazine really, was it beating you up on a daily basis? It was losing money, and then three people came along and said, I'll help you? Well, that's that's kind of true, but um, the three new people that came in didn't put any money in, and I had... Uh, oh. I had three hundred and fifty thousand dollars of uh, my my father. By the way, my father's estate uh, in there, and uh, it looked like I was going to lose it all. I mean, those those were. Uh, I later had a heart attack in two thousand and eight. Well, I earned it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And so, um, it's funny how the things that you love the most are the things that can kill you. It's just it's. Uh, uh, and I'm not complaining. I I. Uh, I've had a. I've been very, very lucky that we're still standing as a magazine is absolutely incredible. I, I, I defies logic. It defies gravity. I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful that that I hung on. Um, so many stories in uh, the opposite direction, which is, um, you know, uh, buying a magazine in 1999 was not the smartest thing I ever did, and by all rights, it deserved to go down the tubes and. Uh, a lot of people made that uh, uh, possible, and I attribute. I've got three or four people work for me who have been with me from the beginning. Carol Compton Glenn is my business manager, and she was the first hire that I made. She's still with me. Robert Ray, my production manager, he came on next. He's still with me. Daniel 
the man Harshberger from Kingman, Arizona, who I played catch with in Little League uh, when I first moved to Kingman. He is still my art director, and we've been working together for 45 years. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that um, these people are are still uh, chasing the dream with me. Wow, I didn't even know that. And I didn't know about the heart attack, and I'm glad you're still with us. Yeah, I was playing Wipeout at a band reunion. If you saw it in the movie, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> playing everything on the floor, Tom. <laughs> I was playing on the literal floor, yeah. showing off and couldn't do it. When when the magazine got going, were there people, obviously people knew who you were, but were there people that looked at you and, who's this guy? Like, where did he come from? Why is he buying our beloved magazine? Or was it when it was purchased and you started to make changes, were people positive? Were they positive to the changes? Were they, or were you still fighting any negativities to a new person owning their beloved magazine? Well, that's hilarious to me because uh, I, I believe that uh, people were going to um, be thrilled that I'd saved their favorite magazine. Nothing could be further from the truth. I wish I had a dollar for every letter I got, and they were literally letters, that began with this phrase. Joe Small is spinning in his grave. What you have done to this magazine, you should be in prison. That, that was the, And that was a nice one. That was what you know, it's like that they hated me. Uh, there, there, there's people that still do. Uh, but you'll notice that in, in anytime people make change, uh, change is painful. It's, it's growth is painful. And, uh, I just, I knew I was right, but man, it was lonely out there. And, and a lot of times it was my own partners. I, I would, uh, uh, Bob McCubbin, I love him. He's gone now, but, but Bob said, don't change the paper. And I go, Bob, we have to change it. And he said, uh, if something isn't broke, don't fix it. That, that's, <laughs> I've heard that a couple of times. I said, Bob, it is broke. That's why it was for sale. We thought it was six feet off the ground when we got in there. When we got in there, it was six feet underground. <laughs> so not only am I fighting all the readers who hate me because I'm changing their magazine, all 600 of them, uh, but my own partners are trying to hold me back. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was not fun, but we made it. Well, it makes me think about a book, and you might know it, you might not. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? And yes. it's all about change in the business world and in personal life. And every once in a while, the cheese have to be moved. And obviously, now the magazine is, is a success. You move True West Magazine's cheese, and your subscription base, I would assume, is way more than the 600 now. So it's a huge success. Well, let me let – me, uh give you a little comeuppance on my part and that is the fact that um uh, we are successful uh our our subscriptions are through the roof we're doing very well but we really hit the wall during the pandemic and i have a a new partner his name is ken amorosano he's been there 10 years now or more and um he said we have to get out of our physical office and i that was my sandbox uh our the the true west world headquarters in downtown cave creek uh, I've been there 20 years. People are driving halfway across the valley to come work with me, and that was my sandbox. And I resisted that, and he said, if we don't jettison this building, we'll go under. And he spearheaded that. So 
for me to get past my partners and tell them I'm doing this, I had somebody do that to me and it helped the magazine survive. Does that make sense? It totally does because when you moved out, then the part of me, because I went, I went to your corporate office and did a video to show the world, the world famous Cave Creek. But I did a video about it because it is such an iconic location in a city that defines Maricopa County, which is the Phoenix Valley of the Sun area, for those who don't know. Because a lot of people come to Phoenix, and the first thing they tell me is, I want to live in Cave Creek. Well, everybody does. And then they realize that, you know, they, you know, for work or whatnot, that maybe it's a different location might be better. So when I went to the Truest Magazine, it was empty, which was sad to see. But then you totally redefined Truest Magazine, and you turned to social media, and Bob began to appear, as you did just last week, on these little 30-minute um, videos, live events, live stream events, that are brilliant. Like, And I'm not saying that Bob's brilliant. Okay, Bob is brilliant. But what I'm saying is that it, it, it put the magazine in a whole different way to where people can now touch Bob, which I'm not saying that weird, but touch Bob and get the American Western history that they want and you redefine the magazine. Is that a true statement? Yeah, yeah well, it's, um, you know, things are, are constantly moving and you have to adapt to it. And uh, in many ways, uh, my partners uh, drug me kicking uh, and screaming into the future. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. We wouldn't be having this conversation right now, probably. Um, if he hadn't have done what he he did, so uh, a lot of brave people trying to do a lot of brave things, and uh, I, I love them all. anybody Anybody that's out there that's trying uh, is on my team. That's my tribe. I love that. I love that. That's that's uh, there's, there's so much awfulness in the world. <laughs> I don't know about you, but these seem like end times. This is apocalyptic. What's going on now? And this is for somebody who lived through the '60s when I thought of, you could get your butt kicked if you had hair over your ear. That's how bad that was. Well, this is ten times worse. And I agree with that. And people become reminiscent, and it is horrible. But it's all defining. It's also defining because what you said is true. Because if it wasn't. For what's going on in today's times, you wouldn't be live. You wouldn't be changing the magazine in the direction that it's going. You wouldn't be doing the things that Bob Bozbell is doing today. That is absolutely the truth. That is absolutely the truth. And I have so many people who are retired. And um, in fact, I, I go to so many events now where um, <clears throat> there's only two of us who are, are still working. And, uh, and and the other person is Daniel Harshberger, my art director. <laughs> and everybody is kidding us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everybody is chiding us for why, why are we still working? And I, I'm very thankful that I'm still doing this. Well, I read an article about a man. It's not, and, and we only got about 10 minutes left, so I won't dwell on it. I read an article by a man who was like over 100 years old. He lives in China. And he goes to, or he lives in Asia, somewhere in Asia. And he goes to work every single day, and he said that the body is not designed to rest. The body isn't designed to stay in constant motion. Do you believe I, that? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you stop, you die. Uh, I think there's a. I think that's part of what gets me up every day. Uh, uh, I, but I, but I love this stuff. And one of the things we're covering in the uh, the wider 
story, which, by the way, Mark Boardman is writing our, our big piece on the OK Can't Corral wait. 140 years later. Uh, Mark, Mark is so great. We have and, him uh, scheduled for a podcast, another one as well. Oh, good. Yeah, Mark Mark is Mark and I go way back. And uh, he, he's covering that. And uh, I think I mentioned earlier that I was at the OK Corral in uh, the Centennial. And then we covered it with the magazine, the 125th in Tombstone. And then, of course, the 135th. And now we're at the 140. And um, I've been asking all of my compadres, do you think Wyatt Earp is still a hero? And the answers are stunning because they run the gamut. Uh, Michael Bean, who played Johnny Ringo in Tombstone, he said Wyatt Earp was a a pimp, a thief, and a killer, period. Uh, and then I have Casey T. Pertiller, who is probably the preeminent um, Wyatt Earp author, uh, and he goes on about how Wyatt Earp's never uh, stood taller. And then you got Gary L. Roberts, who's the Doc Holliday expert, and he says that's the wrong uh, way to look at it, a hero or not. And then you have uh, Kid Ross, that's Tom Ross, my art artist friend, who lives in Lamy, New Mexico, where he has an art studio, and he uh, compares it to Spartacus and how Spartacus was uh, damned by the Romans. They uh, tried to uh, wipe him out, his memory. And 2,000 years later, Spartacus is remembered and the people who tried to stop him are not. And then Tom uh, brilliantly uh, extrapolates that to Wyatt Earp and says, we remember Wyatt Earp for what he means, not by what he did. And that... <laughs> That little bastard, Tom, that is that is so brilliant. And I finally realized that I have uh, all these friends who love Wyatt Earp, or who love the history of Wyatt Earp or the Tombstone as much as I do. And that's the pure blessing is meeting them. Like I said, I went to the OK Corral and I met all my future partners and people that I would have lifetime relationship with. And uh, it's really uh, I hate to sound hippy dippy here, but it's very cosmic to me. No, I I think I, I saw your poll. I was reading the responses. I didn't I didn't respond because there were so many great ones. For me, that if you were to ask me and somebody would say, "Oh, that was Wyatt Earp a hero?" He he's still here. Like that's what blows me away is that you know he's still here after his passing. He was a man, and he still is relevant today as he wasn't then. I mean, back then he was just a man, but today he is relevant and more. He's more popular than ever. Movies are still being made about his life. You can still go to museums. You and I are talking about him. He's all over True West Magazine. Mark does all sorts of stuff with the epitaph. Um, Books are still being written. Movies will still be made. And yet he's still here. And for that reason, I've got to give him a crap load of credit because Wyatt Earp is just who he is. He's just a man who has outlived time and is more relevant and I think needed in a way. Yeah. Well, uh, I've ever heard of the battery theory, and I, I read this, uh, I think it was Proust, or is it Proust or Proust? I, I, who's that French guy? Is it P-R-O-U-S-T? Is it Proust? I think so. Proust. Um, he tells, and uh, it was actually Adam Gopnik who was translating it, and uh, he said that uh, it's like a car battery. Uh, you have to have two poles. For example, mm. Billy the Kid is an all-American boy or a cold-blooded killer. 
and those don't go together. One's a positive charge, one's a negative, but you put them together and then you get a charge. And that's the case with Wyatt Earp. Uh, was he a, is he a pimp or is he the greatest lawman who ever lived? We can't be both. Well, actually he was, and that's the charge. And as long as people, um, uh, so you have to have that, that pull, that, that, uh, that battery charge. And I think that's true with almost everything in the world is that, uh, if we're still talking about it, it's because there are two halves and we can't agree on, on how they work. And, you know, the, uh, another thing I'm fond of saying is that, Everybody in the world's about half right. That's that's the problem. Well, we're almost to the end. It goes by fast. Do you have something that Bob Bozbell lives by? And I I know you mentioned the, you know, the artwork. And if you keep doing it, guys, going to beat you with a hammer. Like I I asked the question because people know who've been listening to my podcast that my thing my what I live by is do the right thing and risk the consequences. Is there something that you live by that carries you through life that maybe your father, your grandmother, your mom, a family member, a friend, a coworker, something that somebody said that sticks with you through your life? Is there something you, know, you live by? I, when I was trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to be, um, I read an interesting statistic, and that was 95% of the people uh, got the job that they're doing uh, by a friend or a relative. And the inference being that the job uh, chose them. They didn't choose their job. And I'd had that happen to me. I was uh, summer, you know, come home from college. And my mother says, uh, hey, you need to come down and apply at the uh, – uh, highway department they're they're building a, a new highway called i-40 and you can work on a survey crew and i went down and did it and that's how i got the job well there were guys that were on that job who had been working that job for 25 years at the time and so i thought well i don't want to do this uh uh and so when i finally figured out what i wanted to do there was no money in it you know i went to work for new times at 110 dollars a week i was the art director and did uh, cartoon strip called Honky Tonk Sue, and I wrote a, a column called Scoops, which was a, a gossip column, basically. And I got $110 a week before taxes, okay? And uh, But I was doing what I wanted to do, and I stuck with it. And if there's anything I can tell people, it's that. It's that uh, you need to try to choose what you want to do. And if you're doing that, ask for no other blessing. Well, I'm not going to put you on the spot, um, but I'm going to hope... And don't have to answer. I'm going to hope you would do a, another one with us because um, I enjoyed the, the 55 minutes went by real fast. I want I end every podcast the same if you've never listened. I tell everybody to please, please, please be great humans. There is so much struggle and pain that goes on in the world, and it could be happening right next door. And if you see someone that's struggling, like just take them out to dinner, you know, take them out for a burger somewhere. It only costs full of, you know, $10 for a burger or maybe help them out as they're struggling, you know, with life. Or maybe it's something that's just going on, you know, just give them a hand, help them out and be, be just to be a great human. Of course, uh, if you're looking for a charity where you live, for me, our charity is, um, 
our charity is the St. Mary's Food Bank here in Phoenix. So if you're looking for a charity that gives 100%, nearly 100% of every dollar goes to food banks. And for us here in Phoenix, $1 feeds seven people. You donate 50 bucks. That's 350 meals or 350 people that get a meal. So please do what you can to give to charity, especially the food banks, because they really need our help. If you need to know more about Bob, you can do so at the Truest Magazine at truestmagazine.com. And again, there's all sorts of subscriptions, so find the one that you like or love. For me, I'm a maniac, and I'm proud to carry my card and my wallet. And uh, Mark Boardman over at the Tombstone Epitaph. Um, again, a true newspaper, Arizona's longest-running paper. You can find them at tombstoneepitaph.com. If you really want the best value, that is the uh, three-year membership at $60, just like the best value is the Maniacs at around 250 bucks. And both of those combined will put you in a spot to where you're getting the best research history in full color, especially True Us Magazine, with true uh, history that's researched with true provenance. And uh, you cannot go wrong with both of those, either on your coffee table or your nightstand. And it's just a great way to end the day with a good read and some good history. So as always, I appreciate everybody. I appreciate Bob for his time this morning. Work safe, be safe, be great humans. You got anything to add, Bob? Uh, yeah, I'll get a subscription to True West, and you will be contributing to the Bob Bo's Bell Retirement Fund. So that that's all I would add. Well, I'm hoping that with my maniac part of it, that Bob is able to uh, – well, he did. You just redid the bunkhouse. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, that money's spent. I need more. I need more people. Okay, so he needs more people. So listen, don't be <laughs> a cheap. Joke. Listen, don't be a cheapskate because Cave Creek is not a cheap area to live in, and um, Bob needs help. I mean, if you see him almost monthly, like I do, he's definitely needing more money for his retirement fund. Yes, thank you. Okay. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. If you need to get a hold of me, you can do so here through the podcast. If you need to email me, you can do so at HVAC Reefer Guy, H-V-A-C-R-E-F-E-R Guy. That's for air conditioning and refrigeration. HVAC Reefer Guy at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. <laughs>